Good morning. Today's scripture reading is from Jeremiah 29, 4-7. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage, that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease. But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile, and pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will find your welfare. Good morning. How are you all doing? Doing good. My name is Chris, Chris King. Uh, I am one of the elders here at Watermark. I'm also the newest elder here at Watermark. In fact, uh, Sam just told me uh, that I still have this new elder smell, which I don't, I don't know if that's a good thing. I think, I don't know. <laughs> actually, actually, he didn't tell me that, um, but I wanted to have a joke to say at the beginning of service, so that's, that's the joke that I decided to tell. Um, anyway, for, for what it's worth, I'm really excited to be here um, you know, I'm honored to speak before you guys uh, and excited about um, the message. Um, and so uh, we're going to pray and then we'll dive into uh, this passage. Dear Lord, we thank you for today. We thank you for um, what you're doing in this church and in this city. We thank you for the community um, that you've built here. Um, we thank you for your word. Um, I pray that. Uh, I would be able to speak uh, clearly and communicate clearly this morning. Um, Lord, speak to us today in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so uh, this passage that we're talking about today, uh, Jeremiah chapter 29, verses 4 through 7, we're going to run through some historical context, and then we're going to see how it might apply to us today. Um, so the first verse in this passage kind of gives a little bit of a setup. It says this, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Uh, this passage in this whole chapter is uh, a letter that's written by Jeremiah sent to the Jewish exiles in Babylon, uh, bearing the voice of the Lord. Somewhere between 588 and 586 BC, or BCE if you prefer, um, Babylonian armies led by King Nebuchadnezzar came into Jerusalem, uh, sacked it, destroyed much of um, the city, and took much of its population, maybe some 10,000 people, into captivity. Uh, So uh, the Jews are um, dragged hundreds of miles away from their home um, to be captors in a foreign land, Um, serving foreign people uh, who worship foreign gods. Um, This is, you know, not a good situation. Um, But what's even worse than this uh, in the mind of the Israelites um, has to do with the fact that that for the Israelite faith and identity, um, like this is very much bound up with their locality, um, with geography, if you will. So stretching back all the way um, to at least Abraham, God's promises had been uh, to Abraham that, that you will inherit this land um, and that uh, this land is the, p- the place where your people will flourish, um, where your children will grow up, um, where 
um, God will fulfill his promises to you, um, and ultimately that God would usher in his eternal kingdom here in this promised land through his Messiah. Um, and now this, these promises seem to be vanishing. Um, so one scholar uh, writes this. He says, One can hardly exaggerate the challenge to Israel's faith posed by the collapse of the national state Judah and the removal of its survivors to captivity in a land hundreds of miles away. The rude and crushing factuality of these events brought to an end traditions of expectation which had been uh, developing in Israel for over 600 years. So again, this um, has been devastating to the Israelite people, this captivity. The experience of the Israelites in exile in Babylon is captured captured in a psalm, in Psalm 137, uh, verses 1 through 6, which says this, By the waters of Babylon, there we sat down and wept when we remembered Zion. On the willows there we hung up our lyres, for there our captors required of us songs and our tormentors mirth, saying, Sing us one of the songs of Zion. How shall we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land. If I forget you, O Jerusalem, let my right hand forget its skill. Let my tongue stick to the roof of my mouth if I do not remember you, if I do not set Jerusalem above my highest joy. In other words, the Jews are mourning by the rivers of uh, Babylon. They're in lament, and their Babylonian captors uh, come up to them, and they're like, hey, Hey guys, why don't you sing us those songs? What are those songs that you used to sing us? Like uh, how awesome your land is and how awesome Jerusalem is. You know, that is before we came in and destroyed everything. Yeah, like why don't, why don't you like sing us those songs? Right? That, that's kind of mean. Um, you know, not, not very nice of the uh, Babylonians. So, so the Babylonians are mocking uh, and making fun of the Israelites here. Um, and they're mocking them specifically with this reference um, to Zion, right? Zion uh, is the mountain on which King Solomon built his temple. Um, Zion comes to represent in scripture home for the Israelites. Um, It represents the connection between God and his people, the place where the presence of God is supposed to dwell. And now the people have lost that. They've lost that center, their connection. But let's look at verses 5 and 6. It says this, Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage, that they may bear sons and daughters, multiply there, and do not decrease. This message uh, that Jeremiah is giving, um, that the Lord is giving, is not the message that the Israelites want to hear. This message, hang out in Babylon for a little while. In fact, Jeremiah tells us that prophets had been uh, prophesying very different things. He he calls them false prophets. Um, He says that these prophets had been saying things like, oh, hey, don't worry about this whole Babylonian exile thing. Um, God's going to send somebody to come in and... um, basically demolish the Babylonians, you guys are going to be able to come back home real soon, like within a year. So just, just hang out, and you know, God's going to come and save you, and don't worry. Right. Um, 
you know, one could say that um, the Jews um, felt entitled to be rescued by God um, because they were God's people. But Jeremiah's message denounces this vision and says instead, no, you're going to be here for a while. In fact, for some 70 years. That means that you're going to spend the rest of your lives in exile. That means that your children, they're going to spend most of their lives in exile. And your grandchildren, they're going to be living in exile for you know, some part of their lives too. right? So don't sit on your suitcases waiting to be rescued. No, says the Lord, I want you to unpack, to put down roots, uh, and to get to know um, the people who are around you. So we have these directives, build houses, plant gardens, and multiply. What's interesting here is that these instructions are instructions that were given to uh, God's people before, to Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, uh, to uh, his people as they're entering the promised land. Um, They're tasks that are also blessings. Um, In other words, they're they're ways of saying, look, I've I've provided for you, do these things, right? And and I will provide blessings for you, build, plant, multiply. I've provided a way for you to live and a way for you to prosper, right? And what I find interesting here is that that this is the message here uh, as well to the Israelites living in exile, in captivity, The message here is that God's blessing has not abandoned you in your time of exile. The Lord has still provided for you a way to live and a way to prosper, even in the midst of your captivity. So I want to say that this can apply to us um, today in various ways, um, to those of us who feel like we're in exile. To those of you who feel like maybe you've lost your center, the the center of that connection um, that you've had with God, Um, right? And this happens in many ways from relational brokenness um, to vocational brokenness, losing someone you love, um, feeling far from God. Um, Maybe you've had... um, an experience where you, th- you thought that God had promised you something. God had promised that you were going to be in some place by now. Uh, and it turns out that that expe- expectation hasn't been met. Um, that it seems like that, that expectation has been shattered. And maybe your, uh, your concept of God has been shattered. I know I've been there. I've, I've had this experience of, of feeling... Um, you know, far from the presence of God and and feeling like promises haven't been kept or met. And so I would suggest that the Lord's message to you and to me preserved in this passage is that uh, God's blessing has not abandoned you in your time of exile. That the Lord has still provided for you a way to live and a way to prosper even in your broken circumstances. And so I would say that it's not necessarily a promise that God's going to immediately right, rescue you and deliver you from out of your circumstances, but rather maybe that, that God will deliver you through your circumstances. Next we have verse 7, which says this, But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile. Pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will find your welfare. 
The word translated as welfare here is the Hebrew word shalom. So let me try this out. Uh, Everybody say shalom. 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 Nice. I I can see why Tommy likes likes doing that. I mean, anyway, it's kind of inside baseball joke. Um, All right. So uh, shalom translates to peace or welfare or flourishing. Um, And it's a central concept in Hebrew thought. Uh, One theologian puts it like this. He says, The webbing together of God, humans, and all creation in justice, fulfillment, and delight is what the Hebrew prophets call shalom. We call it peace, but it means far more than mere peace of mind or a ceasefire between enemies. In the Bible, shalom means universal flourishing, wholeness, and delight. Shalom, in other words, is the way things ought to be. Shalom, in its ultimate and final sense, is what theologians call an eschatological concept, which is a fun word to say, eschatological. Um, That is, it's an idea that expresses the fulfillment of God's promises to his people at the end of all things. And what's crazy here, uh, in my view, and what's so provocative about this text um, in how it sounds to its listeners is that God is saying to the Israelites, he instructs them to seek the shalom of Babylon, of the city where it's in exile. And only in the seeking of that peace will God's people have peace. So God's saying that that peace that I've promised you, I want you to go seek that peace in the city where you're in exile. Your peace isn't going to come from a helicopter and a rope from flight out of Babylon. But rather, your peace is going to come from seeking the peace of your captors. Again, this is not the message that the Israelites wanted to hear. And I suspect that it's uh, a message that uh, we wouldn't want to hear either. um, And that's challenging for us. So I want us to think for a few minutes here Um, about our own situation on what it would look like to seek the peace of our own city. For like the Israelites in Babylon, um, we're something like resident aliens in our cities. There's a sense in which uh, the city is not our home. And yet there's a strong sense in which it is our home, in which God has put us here and God has called us to put down roots and to seek God's redemption, not only for ourselves, but for our cities. So what would it look like to seek the peace of Tampa, to seek the peace of St. Pete, of Brandon, of Wesley Chapel, and so on? I was recently reading a Tampa Bay Times article from 2012 about church attendance in the Tampa Bay area. Um, And it said that Tampa is... In Tampa Bay, the metro area is uh, 50th out of 51 metro areas in the U.S. that have over a million people. So there's like 51 of these like over a million people metro areas. Tampa's one of them. And we rank 50th out of 51 cities um, in terms of church attendance, right? So something that like 34%. So we're next to last. We beat out Portland, Oregon, which is, you know, good. But, but that also means that we're behind Las Vegas, you know, Sin City, which is interesting. Um, 
And in this same article, and again, this is from 2012, it says this, we've lost more construction jobs than any other metro area. St. Petersburg is the saddest city in America, according to one magazine. We're first in the nation in home foreclosures. And according to one non-profit credit agency, we're the most financially distressed market in the country. And then I quote, Tropicana Field is the third worst stadium in creation. (laughs) I don't know. I mean, uh, you know, this is from 2012, so maybe things have gotten better since then. I I don't know. Um, But we could point to other numbers. Um, I think that it's um, come to the attention of a lot of us um, recently that uh, Tampa Bay is a hub for human trafficking. Um, I've seen numbers that Tampa is like as high as third, like the third largest hub for human trafficking. It seems like our area could use some shalom, some peace. Verse 7 tells us to pray to the Lord on, on behalf of the city. This is the first and foremost thing we can do, I think. And um, the, uh, the prayer opportunities that we have here, um, on, I, th- I think in the announcements on May 3rd, we're going to start a monthly Um, prayer focus in between the services on issues just like uh, human trafficking and homelessness. Um, And so I'm really excited about this push for prayer. Are we praying for our city, for its leaders, for its homeless, for its lost, for its marginalized and oppressed? I know I'm not, if I'm, you know, being honest in in the way that, that I would like to. And I think a big part of prayer is listening, not only listening to God, but listening to the needs and the stories of the people around us, uh, uh, the needs of our cities. If we're not listening um, to the stories and to the needs of those around us, we may not know how to pray for our city or how to engage with it. So many of you, uh, many of you in this room are already seeking the peace of the city in amazing ways, right? So Steve with FCA, um, and uh, there are a number of you who are working with marginalized peoples and homeless peoples. Um, so I would suggest that if you are looking for a way to seek the peace of our city, that, that you would go talk to Steve, talk to Sam, or somebody on the missions committee. Join up with the house church. A number of our house churches are regularly involved in outreaches. But trying to seek the peace of a city can be overwhelming. Um, it seems like too much. I mean, it, there, there's so much hurt and so much brokenness and s- stuff all over the place. Where do you start? A while back, I stumbled across this passage in Nehemiah. Um, and Nehemiah tells the story of the Israelites who are now returning to Jerusalem from exile, right? So they've been released from exile. They're coming back to Jerusalem and they're faced with a task. Their city, Jerusalem, is still in shambles. It's in ruins. And so now they're faced with the task of rebuilding the walls of the city. And so Nehemiah 3 tells us this story, and it's kind of one of these passages where you read it and your eyes kind of like glaze over because it's, got, it's like this list of like impossible to pronounce names and um, like you're, they're just doing the same thing over and over again. And so you wouldn't think that there's anything important or profound going on. Um, but I want you to take a look at this. It says, above the horse gate, the priests carried out repairs, each in front of his house. 
And after them, Zadok, the son of Immer, carried out repairs in front of his house. And after him, Shemaiah, the son of Shechaniah, keeper of the east gate, carried out repairs. And after him, Hananiah, the son of Shelemiah, and Hanun, the sixth son of Zalaf, Zalaf, uh, repaired another section. After him, Meshulam, the son of Berechiah, carried out repairs in front of his own quarters. I think there's a theme here, a pattern. Um, all right. The people are faced with the task of rebuilding their city. And how do they do it? Right. Each person rebuilds the wall in front of his or her own house. And I think that there's something here for us. That our task in seeking the peace of the city starts from rebuilding the wall in front of our own house, seeking shalom and redemption right where we are. So in closing, and as we turn to take communion, and so the communion service can start to get ready, first, to those of us who feel like you're in exile, I want to suggest that God has not abandoned you, that he has not revoked his promises and his plan for you. But maybe, just maybe, he doesn't want to save you out from your exile, but rather he wants to save you through your exile. Second, let's pray about how we can seek the peace of our city. Let's join in with others who are already seeking this peace. And let's seek that peace in the places right where we are, the places that we inhabit. And as we come to receive communion today, Let's think about Jesus, who traveled into our own city, where we treated him as a foreigner and an exile. And he sought our shalom. He sought our peace, and he suffered and died that we might have redemption, and that we might have peace, and that we might flourish. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you for your word for your presence with us, for your redemptive work. We pray that you would continue your redemptive work in our lives, that you would continue to show us the redemptive work that you're doing all around us. Teach us to listen, teach us to pray, teach us to seek the peace um, where there is no peace. Jesus, let us follow in your footsteps. In Jesus' name.